You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, everybody. First of all, thank you for all of the really kind well wishes that I heard from many of you over email, social media, direct messages, whatever it is that you reached out on. Thank you for celebrating eight years of this podcast, which is insane. But uh, last week's episode was really special. And some of you actually even went as far as to count how many hours or episodes you've been (laughs) listening to. Someone emailed me and was like, hey, I've listened to over 200 episodes. So that's 200 hours with you, which is like, that's just, it's, it's just incredible. I'm really, really thankful for that. But we're here celebrating independent music, right? DIY, punk, hardcore, all of that stuff. This is the lifeblood. Everything that we do is kind of stemmed from this. And this person that I'm having on this week embodies that in a real, real way. I met him many, many years ago, and we you know, lost touch, as people do. But I was really glad to have him on the show and reconnect. My friend, Tom Schlatter, he plays in a band called Every Scar Has a Story, which if you dive back a couple episodes, you'll be able to hear Rob Fish, who's the vocalist of Every Scar Has a Story. But Tom also played in incredible bands like You and I, uh, The Assistant, uh, These Ships Will Sink. Like I could go on and on. Tom has been incredibly prolific in his music career. And uh, I just was was thrilled to have this conversation with him because, uh, you know, whether he would like to admit it or not, he is very foundational in not only my music listening experience, but then also many of many of ours as well. So let's talk. Let's talk about how you can interact with the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com is my emails are always open. Love to hear feedback from you. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's special to create this this relationship, this email relationship. And you can also just share this podcast. There are people who need to listen to this who maybe haven't been keyed into this podcast. So please share on social media, tag your tag the guests on the show, whatever it is for you to be able to share that widely. I would appreciate that because uh, I don't really care about this show going quote unquote mainstream or whatever that may mean. I care about getting it into the ear holes of the people who need to listen to it. So please do that. And uh, I hope that you are maintaining some level of sanity. I'm sitting here, obviously, in California, just watching all these wildfires. And I hope wherever it is that you are, whether you're in the throes of anxiety or depression, or whether you're battling these fires, or whether you're battling the coronavirus, all of these things are congealing in a way that makes the world feel extremely overwhelming. So hold on to the ones that you love to the best of your ability and reach out if you do need help, okay? Like I am by no stretch of the imagination a therapist or any, you know, medical provider, but I do know what works for myself and those are the strategies that I employ on a daily basis. So that's what we got and we got music, okay? Those are are our lifelines. So let's do it. Let's talk to Tom and I will talk to you at the very end of the episode telling you about the guest for the following week. If you didn't know that, that happens. So here we go. I will literally never forget when you emailed me to uh, talk about you being exposed to Taken and how um, you know impactful the music was and like it just I don't know I, I still hold that I, I literally have that email printed out in like <laughs> you know like like my favorite files of like you know the band oh, wow. or whatever yeah I mean because. That's awesome. 
And I, I think what struck me about it is the fact that, um, you know, when you yourself are a fan of music and, you know, are a fan of bands, you don't necessarily think about how that art will impact other people that you, you know, either you respect their work or whatever the case may be. So to have you approach me to be like, wait, dude, you're from you and I, bro. Like what? Like <laughs> I really like your band. Why are you even talking to me about my band? Like I want to talk to you about your band, but and then getting to know you a little bit over the years, it seems like that is very that is a very core component of who you are. Of just like, oh, I'm just like a fan of stuff, and I like to express that in a very true, um, you know, in, in a very uh, honest way. Has that always kind of like been part of you? Like the because um, sometimes people being vulnerable about their expression of liking something is, you know, some people might get weirded out by it or whatever. Uh, but it seems like you've always kind of done that. <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> is that kind of who you are as a person or do you like, you know, do you reflect on that at all? Um, I think that music for me, um, writing songs and writing music of course is, is a creative process and it's, you know, it's very fulfilling, but one of the larger parts of music that is, is more appealing to me is the connection that I, get with people through that. And that's either through like me writing music and them hearing it or somebody else writing music and me being affected by it. Um, and so all the other sort of like, you know, uh, how technical can I write my song or like how well can I brand my band or myself? Like all that is sort of like not all as important to me. Um, I realize I have to do that to some extent, but the biggest driver for me of being involved in DIY hardcore is that connection that either I can make with people through music or that people make with me through music. And when I heard Taken for the first time, I was instantly sort of uh, just had this moment of like, this band is doing like the music that's in my head right now that like I want to play. <laughs> And I was like, I need to find out more about this band. So I went out and picked up the release. And at this point, I was working this job where I had to drive like probably like four hours a day. And so I was just listening to music all the time. And I was listening to Taken at the end of the day and like the sun was coming down and like I'm listening to Taken and and like it was the last uh, song on on the on that EP. And there was just this like cinematic moment to how the music and what was around me and what was happening in my life uh, really affected me. And it was sort of like, that's the driver for me to be in like DIY hardcore is to have music like that affect me in ways. And so if it does, I, you know, I feel compelled to reach out to somebody and tell them. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of like a long no explanation. No, no, <laughs> I, no that, but I mean, welcome to podcasting, but <laughs> that, I, I think the, you know, articulation that you put into there is something that really differentiates, um, the, the context of, you know, independent music versus music that is kind of simply transactional or just serves as an entertainment function. And I think that, you know, it, it's sometimes it's difficult as you're, getting into these things to be able to kind of, um, you know, explain to a, uh, you know, what I affectionately call as a civilian, you know, a person who doesn't have, <laughs> and it's like, it's sometimes hard to explain where it's like, 
well, yeah, this music impacts me like not only on the uh, you know sonic pleasure level, but then like on all of these other levels as well. And then on top of that, the tangible connection that you're talking about where it, you know, can throw two people together that, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, maybe different upbringings and different backgrounds to be like, oh, I really respect what you do. Whereas like, that's difficult to do with, um, you know, whatever mainstream artists, because there's obviously a barrier there. I think that there's probably two things that, that enable it a little bit more. Um, I think when you're playing in like a DIY community, and all of a sudden, the band you're playing with become your friends. Um, and whereas, and it's more tangible. Whereas, like you know, an artist on the radio or on MTV or something like that. When I was a kid, it's not tangible. You never picture yourself like walking up to that person and having a conversation. Um, I think the other thing, and this, as like somebody who who has a speech impediment and and can you know. Uh, not be very good at social interactions. Like the fact that I could just like in 1999, I think that was when I wrote to you or no, probably 2000 to 2001, something like that. Yeah, Um, around there. um, I was able to like write to you, you know, and we didn't have to have a social interaction and I was able to like introduce myself via email. And then when I met you in California, it was like that relationship had been established. And like, um, whereas like, there's definitely growing up in New Jersey, like I would go to shows and see these bands like Mouthpiece or like Lifetime or even like 108. And I would be like petrified to go up and talk to those folks, even though that those bands were like hugely impactful to me. There was something about the in-person talking and not being able to establish the relationship in some other way beforehand, <laughs> um, like maybe like meeting through a friend or something like that. Um, and so I think like, as much as the internet age and stuff like that, there's like, you could look up so many articles about how it's killing hardcore or whatever. Like, um, for me, I think it's, it's, it, as it enabled me to establish connections like much easier. And when I, like when I was able to establish that connection with you, like that's sort of an example of that, I think, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's what, you know, really ties people to this community in a lifelong manner because they, uh, you know, of all these, these really tangible connections that you make, you know, at a very young age and, uh, unlike other, uh, you know, areas and, and communities that you're able to, you know, have this autonomy to be, you know, play shows and tour and put out records and all this other stuff. And then you find other people that are doing that and you're just kind of like, oh yeah, we're part of this weird secret society. <laughs> <laughs> and no, yeah, and no one knows what it, it really is, except the people that are involved in it as well. And then those are the people that you end up knowing for you know twenty plus years, where you, you know there is that understanding that you could reach out to them at any point and just be like, "Hey, can you help me with this?" And they'll be like, "Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, what do you need?" <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Like um, when I met um, my 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 wife, I I, I met her about um, nine years ago, and when we started to date we would go on vacation and pretty much like anywhere we'd go, I'd be like, Oh, we're going to meet up with my friend. And like, she'd be like, you have friends pretty much like all over the United States. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of this thing, you know, (laughs) like it was a, it's kind (laughs) of hard, like hard to explain that like, you know, yeah, I have like friends 
from touring that like if I if I need a place to stay or whatever, like they're there for me. And like, yeah, there's probably going to be some people staying in our apartment, you know, like so um, opening up her to that life. Um, and she was, you know, extremely understanding about it. But like it was interesting to like see that, like, as you said, sort of exposing a, civil, a civilian to to that culture uh, was interesting. So, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. It's definitely always, uh, you know, eye opening when, yeah, it's like, you know, whatever your parents, like anybody that gets exposed to it and it just understands like. What do you, what do you mean? You know, a person in Hawaii or like, yes, yeah. yeah. it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And I, I, and, and I think like with, with taken, like when, um, the reason that I reached out to you was like at that particular point in hardcore, it was like, you know, 2000, 2001. And it seemed like, um, a lot of bands were sort of like really kind of, um, like, bringing the game up in terms of like song write, writing and mixing sort of like genres that didn't mix before and throwing in sort of like off time stuff and just doing all this sort of really intense song writing. And, and when I heard taken, I, I was like, wow, like this band is pulling it off and, and sort of like, even though you were from the other side of the country, it was, it, it was like, I just wanted to find other bands that were sort of trying to do this same thing that I was trying to do. And, uh, and so like, it was sort of one of those strange things. I was like showing my friends, you know, uh, the E the EP that you had put out and they, they were basically like, this kind of sounds like, some of your bands, if like you guys got like really technical and I was like, <laughs> I know. Right. And it was, like, you know, so, right. um, it, it just totally made me feel like there was somebody else out there on the same page. And, you know, so yeah, the yeah. connectivity. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And it's like, you feel this kinship, even though you haven't spoken to the person, you're just like, Oh yeah. Like we're creating art in the same, you know, weird universe. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I totally get that. Um, you know, so kind of putting the you know, focus on you as a person, um, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot of like biographical information about you in regards to sure. uh, you, like you're born and raised in the East Coast, I presume, right? Yeah, I was um, I was I was raised in the part of New Jersey that is um, unfortunately now known as the Jersey Shore. Right. <laughs> yes. More affectionately dubbed because of the television show. And now, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's where I grew up. Right. Which, yeah. uh, anybody that, uh, you know, knows you or knows your art knows that you very much identify with that TV stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. Cause like when the show came out, people would ask me like, Oh, is, you know, is that, is that, is that like a, like a good depiction of what things are like? And it was like, that's what it's like, like three months out of the year. Um, so the rest of the year when it's cold and nobody wants to go to the beach, the place is like a ghost town. Like you have the beach to yourself and right. it's awesome. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Like, like you get like a couple, like just, just strange, like 75 degree days in March. And you're just like, you get out of high school and you go down to the beach and it's awesome. There's nobody there. You have it all to your, you know, it's great. But then like June comes and all of a sudden the population just like quadruples and it just gets intense and um yeah the show is a, like an accurate depiction of like this like tourist 
culture that takes place there. And it's, it's really strange because it's like New Jersey, the people that like live there all year round sort of have this like love hate relationship because it drives so much of the economy. But it's also just like such a bummer when when things go from like peacefully serene to like all of a sudden just a mad like it's just crazy, you know, like sure, um, just chaos. So yeah. yeah, it's like, whoa, yeah, it's chaos. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're like, well, this uh, our, our this is when our, you know, June 20th is when our city transforms and then we have to bat yes. down the hatches from all of these, uh, you know, tourists that are going to destroy our town. And, you know, we'll, exactly. We'll have to repair it in August. But the uh, the thing about being in that part of New Jersey was that um, I was like an hour away from Philadelphia, uh, like 45 minutes from uh, New Bra- Brunswick, New Jersey, where uh, a lot of shows were taking place and probably like a little bit over an hour train ride into Manhattan. So things were very accessible. Um, and there was also just like a pretty uh, – pretty big sort of like skateboarding contingent where I grew up. Um, so it wasn't a bad place to grow up. There's definitely worse places. So all, all, all in all, like from a geographical standpoint, it it was actually a pretty good place. Sure. Yeah. You, you were close enough to, um, you know, cities where there were things that you were interested that were going on. Um, and it was, yeah, yeah, reasonable for you to travel there. Um, and so what was your family structure like growing up? Like, you know, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Yeah. So, um, my parents, um, were, were like working class. Like my mom was a, was a high school teacher and my dad was a, like, a he worked, he like operated a crane for a union. Um, I had two brothers and a sister. Um, it was pretty much like suburbs, you know, um, working class, um, like any sort of like suburban town. It was, there was like a a pretty big emphasis on like high school sports and, and stuff like that. And, uh, I think like I was probably the first one in the family to not really get into that. And so there was like a lot of friction growing up with my parents and I. Um, I think it became kind of apparent pretty early on that I wasn't going to kind of go the same routes, uh, as the rest of my family. Um, and it took, it took them a lot of time to sort of adjust to me, I think. (laughs) Um, sure. So, um, I think that, uh, growing up in sort of like the, I guess what you'd call like the nuclear family or whatever, um, does like when you're the last child of that line, like I I was the last one and sort of like you have these expectations that are kind of put in place by the three before you. Um, so that it was an interesting way to grow up. But, um, I think there was a little bit of like, you need to do this because your brothers and sisters did this. And then there was a little bit of like, well, your brothers and sisters could never achieve this. So we're going to put extra pressure on you because you're our last chance. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we, we had, we had three more before you and yeah. that, that failed. So now it's really riding on you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I school, school came pretty easy to me. Um, and, uh, my brother who was a year and a half older than me, he was not very good at school at all. And so like he'd come home with like 
you know, straight up C's all the time. And my parents would just be like, oh, you know, I'd come home with like a B minus and my parents would be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? and it was sort of like, I think there was a little bit of pressure um, that I was like the last one. So, but um, I did sort of grow up in, in kind of a tur- turbulent um, environment in that um, at that time in the 80s, I um, being raised by like the boomer generation, I don't think that there was an emphasis on like mental health, um, um, like especially among men. Um, my dad probably suffered from some type of bipolar or, uh, or PTSD of some sort. And so, uh, we did have like a violent household at times and it wasn't exactly like a nurturing place. And so I think that a lot of times when you have these alternative, um, alternative communities like punk or skateboarding, uh, you get a lot of people like me who just like weren't finding what they wanted to find at home in terms of like a family. And so I think I grab pro- probably gravitated towards like skateboarding and punk because of that. Sure. Yeah. It, it makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. If you, you aren't able to find, you know, quote unquote community. And like you said, you know, a safety or a nurturing environment inside the walls of your home. So yeah, I mean, to a certain extent you were, but then you were obviously looking for something more. And so, yeah, it makes total sense where you would be, um, you know, drawn into that where it's like, not only is it fun stuff, but all, all of these people, uh, are, you know, supportive of you. And it's like, Oh, this is yeah. a safe place. And, um, and I mean, I'd, I'd also find that like, you know, some of the people were having the same experiences as me, you know, like there was, there was definitely sort of like compare the bruises sort of days sometimes. And, uh, and it, it made you feel like not like this was like a nor- normalized sort of thing, but it just made you feel like, like less alone. So it was, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Band merch is my name and I am a purveyor of all of the places that you can buy band merch and rockabilia. I've done some research, extensive research on some real legit merch companies and rockabilia is frankly my favorite. So first off, use this code PC 100 words that gets you 15% off your order. So please type in rockabilia.com, start shopping, but most importantly, use that promo code because in that way they know that I sent you half a million items independently run business. They have so much stuff that you can't even begin to like scratch the surface on like, trust me, you'll spend 15 minutes on there and you'll be like, yo, I've like, I've like a hundred dollars worth of items on here. <laughs> and like, I haven't even, I haven't even really gone into other bands. Rockabilia is the best place to buy band merch. They've been in business for over 20 years. Like some people are, I think it's just like, oh, this is a brand new business, right? It's like, no, Rockabilia knows what they're doing. All officially licensed. Their stuff is not terrible bootlegs. The bands get paid. I love them so much. So please, Use the code PC100Words, 15% off your order. Again, PC100Words. Use that, 15% off. I'm like giving you free money, okay? Rockabilia.com, thank you so much for your support. The um, So like you said, you know, school kind of, uh, you know, came natural to you. You know, you knew how to, you know, kind of I- exist there and get, you know, some decent grades and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I guess what were the expectations that your parents uh, had of you that, uh, you know, you weren't necessarily going to achieve? Was it like the the idea that you were going to be like, you know, go into this profession or, you know, do this sort of thing or what? Um, so, yeah, so um I think that there was sort of like this 
um, like my mom had actually gone to a four-year school. She was like one of the first of her family uh, to go to a four-year school. And I think it was very important for her, uh, for us to do that. Um, we also, you know, we lived by the beach. And so there was this sort of weird uh, factory event sort of thing happening where it was like the high school swim team would then, um, I don't know how you'd say this, like, the the lo- the the beaches uh, around the shore would recruit lifeguards based on like the high school swim team performances. Oh sure. And so like yeah yeah so like my brother my oldest one um, got into the swim team and like ended up like working as a l- lifeguard um, I think like five seasons in a row or something like that and uh, and there's like this total. Uh, this total sort of like, I think back in the day we used to call them water jocks. Um, (laughs) cause it's just basically like lifeguards have a lot of the same sort of like, uh, you know, misguided masculine tendencies as like the rest of like the jock stereotypes that you, you know, and, um, and so like, my and, and so like my brother was very successful with this and then like my next brother joined the swim swim team and you know he became a lifeguard and so there was this like sort of expectation uh me as like a six foot i think at that point i was like six foot two like skin, skin, skinny kid like i like definitely um like from a physical standpoint was like what the swim coach was after, you know? And like, and I was like, hell no, I am not doing this. Like there's nothing appealing about this to me at all. Sure. Um, my parents were very disappointed in that. Um, and it became kind of apparent around like late in my sophomore year of high school that like, uh, I didn't really like going to a four year school and, and doing all that. Like it just, it didn't really appeal to me. Um, and well, my parents were, cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just wasn't something that like, you know, I really saw myself like excited about. Um, and I think like this, this probably says something about like, you know, white middle-class public school education. But like, I remember going to the guidance counselor and her being like, okay, like what four year school do you, do you want to go, 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 go to? And, and, and I was just like, you know what? I think think I'm not really into that. You know, I think I just want to figure out something else. And she was like, okay, well, good luck. And it was like, good luck. <laughs> what do you like that? That, what? That, that that was it. Like there, there was no like support, like, okay, like, are you interested in like electronics? There's a vocational program. Are you interested in it? Like there was, there was no, it was like, if you weren't going to go to a four-year school, she didn't really want anything to do with you. Um, and so there was like no support for like the alternative route, you know what I mean? And so I found myself doing a lot of like make it up as you go so right yeah it's like (laughs) there's one path and one path only and then if you divert from that path then there really isn't you know there's no resources available for yeah yeah i mean so in our town like um the county uh the county like community college was in our town and it was just basically like if you weren't going to go to a four-year school they just assumed that you were going to go there And like, maybe you do your two years, maybe you wouldn't, you know? Um, so yeah, so I ended up there because that's where they throw all like the lost kids was like, (laughs) you know, sure. You don't know what you're doing. Here you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, like you mentioned previously, you know, kind of skateboarding was your, uh, you know, entry point to kind of discovering independent music and, um, you know, finding your way within that community. Uh, it, prior to that, like, was there any exposure to music before? Like, you know, were your brothers and sisters, you know, into music, not obviously punk or hardcore or anything like that, but, um, you know, did you have an interest in music prior to that or was that kind of your, your first step in? No, I, I probably got interested in music around like third grade, I think. Um, basically, I I at that point, like MTV was very uh, was like a huge part of the like mainstream culture. Um, and so I started watching MTV as like a way to find out about music, because when you're in third grade, you have no other resources at your disposal. Um, and uh I think at that point, like glam rock was like the big thing, you know what I mean? Um, sure. And so that was probably my first exposure. And I remember, um, kind of like the experience of like watching bands, like, I don't know, like Ozzy Osbourne or like poison or something like that. It was just so, so totally like this, like theatrical, um, event you know, it wasn't necessarily like music as like an applicable like, oh, I could pick up a guitar and do that because it just seems like such an event. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I never really thought about like playing music at that point. It was just sort of like just that was the music that was on MTV. So I watched it. Um, I think about like fifth grade or so, I kind of convinced myself to start to learn to play gu- 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 guitar. Um, and I was trying to learn these like, you know, Beatles songs and stuff like that, that like maybe were a little bit more tan tangible. Um, it, but it wasn't until like, I think it was eighth grade that like the whole Nirvana Pearl Jam thing broke and Nirvana was sort of like this band that got huge on MTV looked like me and my friends, you know, they were just like these like scraggly like kids and their songs were just so straightforward um, and so easy to play. And like, it seems weird because people talk about Nirvana as like this, like, you know, really like this huge intangible band. But for me and my friends, it was just like, oh, like those kids look like us and they're playing like music that like we could write. And that's when it kind of became like a reality of like, oh, well, we could just like pick up instruments and play. Right. And, and more that's more tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, from there it was like, oh, there's this band called Sonic Youth and there's this band called Dinosaur Jr. And like we were like finding all these like alternative rock bands that were doing these weird things, you know. And, um, and that was like eighth grade or so. And that kind of led into like we'd hear like somebody from I think I was like the singer of Pearl Jam was talking about Fugazi and like, you know, looked into that. And then we looked into my minor threat and it was like it kind of like snow, snow, snowballed from there. Yeah, no. And it's it's so beautiful when um, you are able to draw those through lines of the exposure via other artists that are 
you know, like large and like that, just that notion of like pulling up the influences and wearing them on your sleeve, uh, you know, is so like, it doesn't even have to obviously be a mainstream artist, but like in the same way that, you know, whatever, pouring through the liner notes of records and stuff like that, just that connectivity when you are just getting into music, like you literally can't have enough inputs. You're like, I need oh, to yeah. know more. Like where, where can I yes. look for more? And it's like what, any sign of like, wait, what's that shirt? What, what's that shirt that person's wearing? Oh, oh my gosh. Like I need to find out more about that. It's so cool. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, it, it, it's sort of like you just become like, like, um, a sponge at that point, you know, you're, you're just like, give me all the bands, you know? <laughs> and, um, totally. And I think probably the next thing that just like totally got like got me and was like, this is the music I want to play was when I started to kind of listen to fast hardcore that had more of a punk influence. So think like Minor Threat, Uniform Choice, kind of like bands like that. That was like the thing that just really introduced me to like straight edge introduced me to like sort of like this it's okay to be an outsider like people like actually verbally putting that into a song um think like seven seconds was was a band as well that i was just sort of like this is amazing so it's like for the longest time that was like my happy place was like that sort of like realm of bands and so I was, I existed in that for a very long time um, and was like really kind of bummed that by the time I got into it, all those bands were done. But like at the same time, it was, it was so inspirational to me. So, yeah. And I think too, like, you know, you, you mentioning those bands, uh, I think it's, it's always uh, great to have these you know, variety of different influences as you are not only coming up at, you know, as a teenager and figuring out what music you like and stuff, but as you start to, you know, understand the, um, you know, sometimes, you know, arbitrary contextual differences between scenes or whatever, where it's like, oh yes, you're a screamo band. So of course you need to exclusively listen to screamo or you're a pop punk band. So like, you know, just yeah. these, <laughs> these dividing lines where it's like, you know, yeah. no one is like that. So you don't have to act like, super cool to be like oh yeah you know i was born listening to um you know men's recovery project and born again it's like (laughs) what are you talking about like you probably listen to you know whatever fat records pop punk like that's fine like just wear it with pride but like i just like the fact that you know i mean especially when the the music that you have uh you know created since you and i and even with you and i where it was just this always this you know blender of like hey let's throw a bunch of stuff in here and see what comes out I, and I think that that's like, that's the one thing that, um, I don't know, probably to my, um, I, I, I don't create like, I guess what you'd call like easy listening music because there's so much music that I like, you know what I mean? Um, that I can never just sit down and be like, yes, I'm going to be in a fast hardcore band or like, yes, I'm going to be in like, um, an indie rock band like it, it would be really hard for me to like commit to a genre 
you know, <laughs> like just, right. yeah, to I just like be this so much thing. music. Right. And, yeah. and I, and I think that, I mean, especially with, um, you know, the, uh, the, the genre that, you know, you have existed in as far as like, you know, what your bands have kind of always sort of stuck in. Um, and not because that is your desire, but that's just always, you know, the, uh, the, the tangible thing that, you know, most people have compared you to where it's just like, Oh no, I like these other bands too. And people are, it's like, Oh wait, you're allowed to like youth of today as well. It's like, yeah, of course. Like <laughs> you don't need to just listen to this thing or whatever. Yeah. I uh, mean, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, for me growing up, it was like, no matter what you were into, like, you know, you could talk to like the guy who like, you know, listened to integrity and like moshed with a Jersey on, or you could talk to like the pop punk kid, like, or talk to me, we all would agree that like, yo, inside out burning fight, like <laughs> great that song. release is great. Like it was like, yeah. like we all, there were, there were like these concrete things that like we all sort of agreed on. Um, and I think that maybe that's kind of lost a little bit with like the genre splicing that's happening where it's like, well, my band plays post rock instrumental doom and your band plays post blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so we don't have anything, you know, it's, I think that that's, that sort of got a little too far. Whereas back in like the nineties and early two thousands, it was like, yeah, of course we've all heard chain of strength, you know, it was like, you know, we just kind of knew, you know, yeah, it was like, like when you were getting introduced to hardcore, that's probably like the journey that you went on was you just listened to a bunch of bands and decided what you liked and didn't like, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. There's these universal touch points where it's like, yes, of course, everybody likes Operation Ivy. Like you. Yes. Why yes. would you not? Like, <laughs> of course, you yes. like music, you like guitars. Like, you, yes, of course, you like Operation Ivy. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, it, as you started to, you know, get out and, and play in bands and everything like that, you know, you, from what I can tell, just, you know, the uh, mild research I was doing on the Internet, the uh, your first band Seven or S-E-V-I-N, right? That was oh, kind goodness. of. Yeah, I know. I'm a nerd about this. Um, you went deep. I did. Damn. I don't mess around, Tom. Because right. um, th- that, that essentially was kind of your first band for all intent and purposes, right? Um, I was in like a fast hardcore band before that, and we had played our last show with seven and seven was, it was weird. Cause they had like sort of, um, presented themselves as a V as a vegan straight edge band. Uh, there was five people in the band and only three of them were vegan and straight edge. Two of them weren't straight edge or vegan. And so oops. their guitar, <laughs> yeah. what, what's that? I was just gonna say like, uh, oops, like that's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes from like, how do you, in like 1994, how do you find the personnel to do a vegan straight edge band? Like in this like New Jersey shore town, you know, it just, so, um, so these guys found out that I was vegetarian, um, and straight edge. And I had, I used to skate with, with one of the guitar players and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll ask that kid to join. So one, like one of their guitar players quit and the kid that I was friends with asked me to join. I had never played like metallic hardcore ever in my life. I like, it's sort of like the only thing that I had really like played in a band up until that point was like alternative rock or like really fast hardcore. So the idea of like palm muting and doing like pinch harmonics and shit like that, like I, I had nothing about that. 
I was like, why do these people want me in the band? And uh, and I think it was just basically like they were trying to build the personnel to go with like the philosophy of the band. And so that's why I got asked to be in the band. I was like, you know, um, the other weird thing about it was I was 15 and the rest of the band, besides my one friend, the rest of the band was like, you know, early 20s. So which doesn't sound like much of an age gap. But when you're 15 in a band with 20 21 year olds it's a large age gap <laughs> so so huge yeah for like sure. my my maturity was not there i did not understand the priorities of people who like had to work and pay rent at that point um just no no idea um so yeah so that's how that started right <laughs> yeah um, and that 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 kind of was the first band that like actually like pressed a record i guess you could say sure so, yeah yeah um, and did you, you know, because I've always known you to be a person that can, um, you know, like you were kind of talking about where, you know, you can hang out with a, you know, whatever, uh, Jersey hardcore wearing guy, like, you know, I mean, making some gross over generalizations about people, but like you could kind of flip between a bunch of groups and, uh, generally speaking, like get along with them. Like, cause you know, you're like, in my opinion, you know, reserved, soft-spoken, but at the same time, you're also friendly and not like this total wallflower where you're like, I'm not going to talk to anybody, you know? Um, but you're at the same token, you're not going to be like the, you know, guy that's kicking in the door and being like, Hey, Tom's here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that's a pretty good (laughs) observation. (laughs) Um, and so uh, I think because of that, like, you know, maybe that's why, uh, you know, once pe- once you started to kind of like get out and, and people, uh, you know, like recognized who you were from, you know, the bands that you played in and stuff like that, uh, you, you seem to be kind of an easy target for collaboration. And I mean that in a nice, <laughs> and I mean that in a nice way. Like, is, is that kind of, is that maybe, you know, accurate why people you think approach you to, you know, do a variety of different projects? Um. I don't know. Maybe I, I never really thought about it. Um, you've, you've blown my mind right now. Um, <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, I, I know it's, it's hard to reflect on yourself like that, but it's like, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I noticed that there is a through line for certain people within the independent music scene where it's like, you tend to, you know, it's not, I mean, again, this is just a random example, but it's like, you know, I mean, Dwid from Integrity has obviously worked with, you know, a variety of different people, but it's not like most people would go to him to be like, oh, I could probably put a project with Dwid together. It's like, no, he's a very specific vision, (laughs) you know? Uh, Yeah. Whereas like you would be like, oh yeah, I can, I can play this like, you know, aggressive-ish hardcore that leans this direction or go the other way. Um, yeah, I guess that maybe just comes with, um, I don't know. Like I, I think when like when I was touring a lot and meeting a lot of people, um, and we talk and you know the conversation would go into like some obscure genre of music that all of a sudden we realized that like we were the only two people in the room that liked. You know, um, there there there'd always be the those kind of conversations. So like, oh, we should do a band one day. You know, like um, and I think maybe some of it is 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 that just like being like it comes back to what we were saying before kind of like being passionate about connecting with people over music and then actually being able to follow through with that and create and, and create um maybe that has something to do with it um i i you know you've really given me something to think about here i'm not sure that's, no <laughs> hey that's 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 not exactly what i'm here for but at the same time it is what i'm here for <laughs> awesome yeah 
Um, I, I remember just speaking from personal experience, like, you know, when I first discovered you and I, you know, it was definitely, it's probably, you know, around like 15, 16, like after I had gone through the matriculation of, you know, listening to kind of, you know, SoCal, you know, pop punk and all that sort of stuff. And then getting into victory records and then, you know, completely expanding my horizons. Um, and then getting into like reversal man orchid and all that stuff. And the thing that drew me to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, the, the ebullition scene as it were, uh, was just the, you know, artistic expression and the hand touched elements of every band in that scene, uh, whether it was like the, you know, the literal packaging of seven inches in, you know, manila envelopes or whatever, um, you know, just that tangibility that made it feel again, like a product was being sold, but it was much more than that. Um, without kind of romanticizing that, uh, you know, era too much. Um, what was it that kind of, uh, I mean, obvious removing kind of the obvious things that we've sort of talked about already, what, what kind of made it, you know, special for you as you were kind of, you know, getting out there. Cause it, obviously you and I was playing in front of not very many people until after the band broke up and everyone was like, Oh, I like that band now. And you're like, <laughs> okay. But you know, what was kind of, um, you know, did that you recognize that was kind of, uh, you know, special and spoke to you? Um, when I, I, I sort of had the same experience where I, I did go through like the sort of like more accessible victory revelation hardcore first. Um, and then there were, there were some college kids in my town who were going to community college and they had a house and they started to do shows there. And I had never heard about like, uh, shows at a house before, um, and so I went and the first show I went to was, um, it was like Rye Coalition, Franklin, Still Life. And there was a band called Fracture, which was, um, this guy who went on to be, he is this guy, Adam, who went on to do a band called Adam and his package. Um, oh, he yes. had like a, he, yeah. So before that he had a pop punk band called Fracture and, and, and they played as well. And I had never seen like music in a, in, in, in a basement. I had never been so close to a band that like I could feel their sweat on me. I had never been able to like walk up to a band after they play and talk to them. I had never bought a t-shirt and a record from a band personally. And then to look at like, oh, they screen these t-shirts themselves, like in their basement or like, oh, they hand like, uh, stamped all the co- co- covers for this al- album and there's like so much work put into this and I'm meeting these people and I'm seeing like I'm seeing them set up their amps and tune and like you're seeing like every part of the process and that was sort of like my first time seeing that and I totally just like fell in love with that like the the reality of that you know what I mean um that these these people were putting in such work and were probably, you know, not making a career. They're just doing it because, like, this is what they love to do. And um, and that – I would say, like, those bands at that time – like, this is before, like, Rye Coalition got into their, like, you know, slick-backed hair phase. Um, so it was, like, they were still, like, a noisy, like, coming off the cusp of, like, those – some of those guys were in a band called Merrill before that. Um, and it was just like between like Franklin and Rye and still life, like 
it was just a, like an amazing night. Um, and to kind of just, it wasn't just like one thing, you know, it wasn't just like the packaging of the LP or the screen t-shirts or it was just the whole thing, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Once yeah. you, and kind of going back to your sort of accessibility factor where it's like these things that were right in front of you and like you understood kind of every step in the process, even though in your mind you weren't like, you know, articulating that, but you were just like, Oh, I see how they're doing this. Like I see how they're getting a t-shirt. I see how they're doing a record where I see how they're bringing their equipment down. Like it, it makes it, uh, so much more, you know, real and tangible. And then, you know, it obviously inspires you to kind of do your own version of that. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I completely get that. And it's like, cause, cause before that it was like, you know, we went to the one like record store in New Jersey that sold hard, hardcore stuff. They'd have these like really nicely packaged like earth crisis or Snapcase LPs with like t-shirts from like victory or rev that were printed with like, you know, four different colors on them and they looked like super slick, you know? And like, it, it was very, uh, like stuff like that was just like, Whoa, this is some like money type. These guys are like pros. There's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's some money behind this, you know what I mean? Whereas like in the, at, in the basement, it was sort of like, Oh wow. Like these kids just cobbled things together and did what they could do. And like, I don't know, there, there was, yeah. Yeah, it was just so much more of like a real experience for me. So. Of course, yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, something that I also find so uh, you know engaging and you know pretty honestly comical in regards to the way of how fast bands you know basically from like I don't know whatever ninety six till about you know maybe early two thousands was like how quickly uh, you know not only music was put out either by, you know, bands releasing a ton of seven inches throughout a year and, you know, whatever, releasing an LP the next year was like how quickly, uh, you know, bands actually like recorded, like, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. right. Just like, Hey, we put this together in two weekends over eight hours. Whereas like, you know, now the concept of a band recording a full length in eight hours is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and it's, it's really weird because it's like all of my bands, like when we record, we, go into the studio Saturday morning and by the time we leave Sunday night it's done and because like <laughs> because me and uh, like for the band I'm in now um, hunt, 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 hundreds of AU it's me and uh, Ch- 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 Justin who was in y- you and I and um, and that's how we grew up like we grew up, like you go into the studio like Friday night or Saturday morning and you just like work as hard as you can. You get this thing done. And like, that's just what we do. And so like now when like we book time to go record and like, we're like, yeah, we're going to do eight songs and like Saturday, Sunday. And like, usually the engineer who's going to work with us is like, are you serious? And we're like, yeah. And then we do it and they're like, holy shit, you guys did this. And it's really just like, like, like back then, like back in the nineties, it was just like practice as hard as you can because like you don't have like, uh, there's no like backing from like a huge label or anything like that. So it's like you have a limited amount of time to like go in there and do what you have to do. And like, I've just kept that like no matter what, like I, I think like now it's like the people in my band, like we all have like careers and stuff. And if we wanted to, we could probably like 
record over four days or something, but it's like, why, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you're like that, that is way too much time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it would just, it just give you way too much time to like get into your own like head and criticize yourself and just, you know, kind of like get detached from the process. So I still carry that whole like nineties, like approach Right. So. To, to the way that you record. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, and I, and, and like to know, not talking bad about if a band wants to go record for two weeks, that's awesome. Like I, <laughs> right. that's, if you could do that, awesome. Yeah. I no problem with that at all. <laughs> no, it is, it is funny because it is one of those things where it's like, yes, mo- the fact that most bands are recording with such, you know, uh, uh, stressed time implications was the fact that like, yes, you only, you know, the, you were only able to cobble together, you know, $2,000 or whatever between five members. And so you're like, yeah. okay, like this is literally all the time that we can afford. So, um, you know, the idea of it's good enough is like, oh yeah, no, that's good. Like, I know you missed a few notes there, but dude, no one's going to hear that. You're fine. Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's, there's like, I, I, I don't know why this came to my head. I remember listening to like the Puritan reversal of man split and like the Puritan side just has like so many notes that are fudged like really hard. And yep. I remember just being like, that's kind of like, I don't know. There's like a certain like, l- like, like warmth to that or like comfort to that to just be like, yeah, these are probably some kids that just had like 500 bucks between the four of them and just had to record live and did what they could, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side is like some bands, crave that uh you know lightning in a bottle authenticity and they'll spend ten thousand dollars to get that sound like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like oh dude we, we just spent two months to get this really authentic live sounding record and it's like oh you could have done that for three hundred dollars on a weekend or <laughs> i you know i i actually i remember when like garage rock became big as like a genre in like the i don't know early to mid 2000s and it was like like bands spending like you know huge amounts to go record and it was like this sounds like there's like two mics in the room like uh, like they did they really spend this much on it like right. <laughs> sort of like but they you know again like you said they wanted to create that aesthetic i guess so yeah no no i totally yeah. agree um as you started to you know get out and i mean you and i had limited touring and then you know you did a little yeah. bit more with uh well not a little bit more a lot more with the assistant um did you you know because you personally are at this kind of intersection where i i see you know you being an extrovert on one hand and then being an introvert on another hand and you liked obviously hang out with people <laughs> but um you know what was touring i guess uh stressful for you did you enjoy it was it kind of a mix of both so yeah like when we started the assistant that was sort of the band where i was like i want to tour like i the purpose of this band is going to be to tour um not tour in any sort of like let's quit our jobs and make a career out of this band it was just sort of like let's work crack like crap jobs for four months quit tour for a month come back work work a crap job again quit going to like that was I think at that point I was just sort of like um maybe a little bit too I was sort of like overcompensating for the fact that like I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life or like where I was gonna land. So it was just sort of like, well, if I go on tour I won't have to think about that, you know? So um so I was just touring like crazy. And um 
and to the dismay of like some of the people in the band, I think I was push like I pushed I pushed the band like really 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 hard um, to 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 do those things. Um, one of the strange things about that time, so it was like 2000, 2001, was like there there was this sort of like political backlash taking place in the hardcore scene at that time. Because um, like the 90s was like this like super overtly political time for hardcore. And then like the 2000s came and, and things sort of like there was this backlash to that. And um, the whole like uh, sort of like emergence of like the screamo scene or whatever becoming like big kind of happened in tandem with that and so in the assistant like we're like these like 90s hardcore kids like most of us are straight edge and vegan and like yeah like uh, lee sang for us and she was very upfront about like being a woman in the hardcore scene and like making a place for that and the majority of the screamo sort of like scene at that point was a very sort of like, I don't know, like aesthetics party sort of atmosphere. And uh, we didn't really fit into that at all, but those were the shows that we get asked to play. So we do like 30 days of playing these shows that were just like kind of like people just, you know, drinking like crazy and like calling like Lee all these names when she would try to talk between songs and we'd be like, wow, this is kind of weird. But like, these are the shows we're getting asked to play. So it was like very, um, it was exhausting. It was very exhausting. Um, once in a while we'd like meet a band who got us and we're on the same page with us, like seven days of Samsara or like four Stella Ford or something like that. Um, but like there were just, we were just playing these, shows where it was like really hard to be an extrovert you know what i mean because it was like you just weren't on the same page with the people there um oh absolutely um but that one person or like three people you'd meet at that night or whatever who were like really cool made it totally like oh wow you know like and there you know there's people that i met on those tours that are my friends for life right now so yeah, no, it's a very interesting point too that you kind of, you know, bring up in there where it's not like there was a roadmap in which, you know, bands could quote unquote make a living. Like, you know, every band was very much existing on a sort of hand to mouth. Like, you know, you know, if you were successful, you maybe got a $10 a day per diem or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but there was that ambition True. that, yeah, there was that ambition that existed of like, well, yeah, we got to tour and get out there and like, you know, kind of collect these experiences uh, without the, um, you know, hope or desire that this will turn into a quote unquote career. But like you built your life around it where it was like you said, you know, just work a, you know, transient job and then be able to, you know, dive into it because you have to go on tour or whatever. Um, but yeah, there was no uh, vision from the the business side of things. But like at the same time, you did have to reckon with it because like, oh, we are getting paid for this show or we are, you know, like there is a exchange of commerce going on. Did oh, you... Yeah. um I, I I mean, even though you weren't like the the focus wasn't to, to be a business within you know the the independent music scene, you know how did you kind of uh, you know marry the idea of like oh yes I, I do have to be concerned about the commerce in order for us to like get to these shows and stuff like that or was that something that was just basically a byproduct of your existence? I think we with the assistant like when we were touring a lot we looked at it as like 
if the band can like pay for itself, then we're successful. Um, it, it, and when we say that, we mean like if we could, if we can get paid enough to get gas to go to the next town, if we can sell enough t-shirts to where like we can press more t-shirts when we get home, um, we, and if we could give each, if, if we can give ourselves $5 each a day to eat. And so there was a lot of like Taco Bell at that point. Sure. Um, and, uh, and so like the commerce end of it was just basically like, like we just want to be able to pay to like keep this afloat, um, not keep us afloat. Um, and so that it was sort of like all the money sort of went into like keeping the band afloat. Um, and it was, it's, it's kind of funny. This is like another thing to kind of explain to like the civilian aspect was like, um, that didn't pay for like gear repair or strings or anything like that. Like that, like that was your responsibility to take care of. Um, well, like in terms of the band, it was just like pay for like gas recording t-shirts and that's it. You know what I mean? Um, so there was like a financial side, but it was more just like, just to maintain it. It was the fuel. Yeah. It was like, yeah, right. Basically, yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. a very, it, it, yeah, it, it definitely, when you were uh, doing that and, you know, e- even when you did like have, you know, certain windfalls of, uh, you know, cash, whether it was like, oh my gosh, like we sold a thousand dollars worth of merchandise or, you know, like you still yeah. were just like, well, yeah, that that money is then, you know, in our proverbial, you know, <laughs> lack of bank account or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, like we, we like never had a night where it's like, oh my God, we made $400 on merch. Like let's go to this like $12 plate uh, restaurant now and like go out to eat. It was like, we never had that, you know, like we, um, we were always like very sort of like, I don't know, felt fortunate. This it's like, okay, if we made $200 on merch tonight, I bet you tomorrow night there's going to be five people at the show and we won't make anything. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so like, this will even it out. all sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it sort of like shaked out at the end, you know? Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, and something that, you know, I've always admired you as a person is that, you know, even though the uh, activity of your touring, you know, started to die down after, you know, the assistant, I mean, you obviously did stuff as much as you possibly could with like this ship will sink and, you know, all the musical projects that you've done since, but not in the same way where you're out, you know, 200 days out of the year because, you know, you you were transitioning into a life that was, uh, you know, more responsible and probably healthy. So, yeah, uh, that's 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 actually the key word. Uh, I was getting like healthier from like a mental standpoint and kind of coming to terms with like not having to have to run away from things and, you know, trying to kind of like build a life for myself. So, yeah. Well, and, that, and honestly, that's what I was going to ask where it was like, you know, the the impetus of you uh, starting to tour less was you um, recognizing the fact that you not only just from like a oh, I got to be an adult standpoint because, you know, whatever, that is what it is. But just the notion of you recognizing that you needed to take care of yourself. So, you know, walk me a little bit through that process where you actually did have that realization to be like, yes, I need a little more stability in my life and not like sacrificing my creativity for it, but just being an understanding that being absent from any place for, you know, longer than, uh, you know, six months out of the year or whatever is not going to be a good space for me to be in long term. 
Well, it, it had two two aspects to that. Um, the first was, you know, I had I had all these sort of problems from growing up in a domestic violence uh, household and having those experiences and not really getting professional help for that. And just saying to myself, like, oh, if I go on tour and meet other people that have experienced this and talk to them and uh, just create this bond in this community, like, I'll be fine. So I just need to tour all all the time and I just need to, like, play shows all the time, which means, I mean, I just need to be in a band all the time. And, uh, and after years of doing that, like my, like my subconscious, like my mental health was not really any better than it was when I left, um, in terms of dealing with, with like what that's, what that scenario had like left on me. Um, uh, mentally I hadn't come to terms with like, um, with trying to to grapple with that experience of growing up like that and so it i think after all that touring and stuff it was and and i and i still felt the same way it was like you know what this doesn't work i need to get some professional help right now and then i at that point i started to see a counselor and work through that and actually do some like real work on that um the second thing was I was working these jobs that were like, you know, total transient jobs where you could work there for three months and quit and then like either come back to that job or get some other job that's the same. And when you think about like what you're going to do with your life and like what not not so much a, a career, but it's like like what what sort of like. um Like, what are you going to do for like the community that you're in? And is your work going to be able to like make that a better place? And so being in a band, I think it's great. Like I think touring a lot is great. I think like the connections you make are great and you change people's lives and people change your life. But I needed something that like I could wake up every day and go and do. And so the focus on like finding a job at home that had like a positive influence on my community became a little bit more important. So I started to kind of be like, well, what can I do with like, like, can I find something in like non nonprof? Um, at that point I had a, a associate's degree in information tech and I started working for the board of ed in, in my town. And so I, I did that job for like five years. Um, and I had um, a really good time just making like education and nonprofit like my life work. And so music is still very important to me, but it was sort of like at the end of the day, like I need to do something that's actually going to like like writing a song and, and, and going out on tour doesn't really help the people in my community per se. And so I wanted to, to, to look into work like that. So the the sort of like twofold experience of getting some real, uh, professional mental health service, as well as looking for a career that would benefit my community were like the two things that kind of took me off of the touring. So 
I, I really love that sentiment because I think it's so, um, you know, it's so powerful when you take the, uh, you know, ethics and ideas and everything that we've experienced within independent music and not just keep it in the echo chamber that is, you know, the basements and venues across America. And you start to, you know, showcase what that looks like to your point in your local community in you know, friends and family, like all of these people that get impacted by the fact that, you know, you're this weirdo that picked up a guitar and yells into a microphone, <laughs> you know, it's like just yeah. that tangibility of like, you know, cause I'm sure all the conversations you've had with most people that don't have exposure to this are just like, wait, Tom, you playing a band? Like what? Like that's, uh, it's weird. It's so like now I, like I, I live in upstate New York and, um, I work in it at a public, li- uh, library and, um, and it's, it's a larger like public library for a very, very large town. It's actually, we serve two, two towns and, um, it's really weird, even though I'm 41 years old, you know, to sit at a table with like other administrators and like be a part of like this like group of nine people that runs this place and still look at myself as like the heart, like the hardcore kid that plays in, yeah. in, in a band. But there's like, you know, people twice, not twice my age, but but people like, you know, considerably older than me, like taking me seriously and taking my advice and like. Um, it blows my mind, but at the same time, I'm so thankful because it's like, I work there. I love the work there. I love the people there. I see like, well, before there was a global pandemic, I I would see this like tangibility of, of my work. I'd see the results of my work with like what we're able to do with the community there. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's not better than being on tour it's not worse than being on tour it's a different sort of 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 work and i don't think i would be able to do the job that i did now or i'm sorry i don't think i would be able to do the job that i do now had i not had the experience of like being in a diy touring van for such a long time and like i because a lot of it is like well here's this thing here's this problem and can you find some way to fix this or can you find some way to, to like do this? Can you find some way to like make, make, make this accessible to people and, and you just have to, you have, you, 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 you basically have to like figure that out. And it was very similar to tour. It was like when in like 2001, it was like, okay, we want to go on a month long tour. Let's start to make some calls. Like, let's figure this out. You know? So I don't know. It's so strange like to this day, I don't think that'll ever fade away from me mm-hmm. to like sit at a table of like what I consider like grown ass adults and just be like, wow, like they haven't fig- figured out that I'm like just like this hardcore kid, you know, just sitting. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, yeah. and the, the idea that it's like everything that you are doing with the, uh, you know, uh, the hand to mouth uh, independent music, like all of those things, you are actually developing so many skills that people you know, go to school for or whatever. Oh like, yeah. And, yeah, totally. <laughs> and it, it's not, it, it's not like you could put it on a resume where people like take it no. seriously. <laughs> I like, like, like I, I can, I cannot be like, yeah, like book this like 35 day tour around the United States and mostly slept in like basements and parking lots. But you know, it, like, it's, <laughs> right. They're like, okay, so that sounds 
horribly unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, it was. It totally was. But like, I, we accomplished it. Like, you try to do it. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's it's weird because it's like when I like now um, my like my touring is probably like once a year. Um, depends. Like uh, usually like hundreds of AU will do like probably like 10, like 10 days a year where like we really go out. Um, the rest is like, you know, Friday through Sunday sort of things. But like when I do that tour, like when I do that, like 10 day tour every year, my, like the people that I work with are like, wow, that's amazing. Like you're, you're, you're going to get to like go here and go there. And like, they, these are like normal ass people, but they're like kind of envious you know what I mean? Like, especially when you tell them that you're going to go overseas to play, like, they're just like, what? You're going to Europe? Like, you know, right. um, and it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, it's weird to like, all of a sudden, like the people with like the nice house and, and like the nice car and like, you know, people that are successful all of a sudden are sort of like envious of something that you have. And you're kind of like, wait, why are you envious? I guess that may, you know, like, um, I think that a lot of people have mid, like midlife crisis sort of syndrome where they freak out and they realize that they didn't do enough. Um, I don't have that. I think like if I died tomorrow, like I would be like, cool. Like I did a whole lot of like I traveled a lot. I met a lot of great people. Like I feel good about this and I would just go. Yep. Yeah, I gave, I gave, I gave it a good run. Um, Yes, exactly. But what I do have that I don't think regular ass adults have is I have a huge case of like what I, what I think a lot of people call imposter syndrome where, like I said before, like I just, I go to work every day. I see myself as like this guy who just plays in bands and like loves punk and I go to work and people take me seriously. <laughs> so, Dude, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'd rather, I'd rather, I, I, I would rather have imposter syndrome than midlife crisis syndrome. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. That's a good point. But yeah, but uh, beware. I think there's probably, they can probably be mutually exclusive. Like they can probably both exist <laughs> just in different yes. manifestations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. The, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, obviously your newest musical project and endeavor that, you know, every scar has a story. Um, and it's so cool and rad that, uh, you know, it comes together, you know, with, with obviously Rob fish from one Oh eight and, uh, you know, all the other projects that he has done. Um, and it's funny because, you know, clearly it's like the, a, uh, was drawn together just by, you know, you guys bouncing files back and forth to one another and, you know, being friends because, you know, you met uh, in the, uh, you know, mid 2000 through one Oh eight and everything like that. But it's funny because obviously it's released on equal vision, which is ostensibly like the largest label that you personally have worked with as far as like a, you know, commercial endeavor but it's such a you know like a it's a serious project but it's not like you guys are gonna tour tour days at the year for it like we were just talking about uh so is it funny to be like oh this this thing that i i put together uh you know with a friend is now on like you know the largest label i've ever been a part of it is terribly confusing uh, <laughs> sure, sure um yeah so it it's very strange to me. Um, so I, I pretty much like, you know, like for the last three years I've, I've been playing in, in hundreds of AU we've been doing recordings and putting out stuff with our friends and like, it's, it's the, you know, 
it's pretty much the same uh, operation that I've done before. Like a friend puts something out, like our friend Sean put out our last two releases. We work as hard as we can to, to like promote it through like whatever we can, but like we don't hire like a publicist or an ad agency or, you know, anything like that. It's just, it's us. We just do what we can. We go out and play. Um, and I know that there's like a, a, uh, uh, I'm going to try I'll try and say this as like sensitively as I can, Sure. but there's, there's definitely an element of hardcore that I refer to now called top 40 hardcore, which is like really just like, there's bands, but they have like a whole PR team behind them. They have like a tour manager. They have all, you know, they're like, they're more than a band. They're like, it's like a whole team. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And they're not playing like basement shows. They're not touring and playing like tiny art spaces. Like they're, they're all playing these shows that sort of look like stadiums or not, not stadiums, but these like 2000 cap venues and stuff. And that's a whole scene that like, I don't really have any participation in. Like, I don't like, I see it because it's like, like, I think that sometimes there's, there's this, uh, especially now there's like this sort of illusion created sometimes that like, those are the bands that make up the hardcore scene and people forget that there's like a smaller DIY basement scene that's happening. And, and I think people like lose touch with that because it's like after a while, these like large PR, uh, outlets, you know, uh, are only sort of putting things out that like, like, Oh, this publicist got in touch with me and wants me to do a write up about this band. And at some point, like the people that work for those like outlets, like stop going shows and like maybe stopped finding out about these new bands playing in basements. And they're only really finding out about bands if like a publicist gets in touch with them and says, do a write, write, write up about this band. And so like what I see in, in like a lot of those things, like, like a lamb, like, like a lamb, lamb, lamb goat or something like that is like not really a representation of like my experience in the hardcore scene. Um, because like, I don't think that those, those folks are in touch with like the smaller sort of hardcore scene. Um, and I'm not trying to be insensitive or say anything bad about them. It's just like, that's like, they run a business Two different worlds. and they get paid to do something. And so, yeah. Um, and so like hardcore split into that, you know what I mean? There, there's definitely like a more like, uh, I don't know what you'd say, uh, profitable hardcore. And then there's like the DIY hardcore. And so have, having spent, basically all of my time in like on like the DIY side of things this was my first sort of like you said this was my first sort of taste of like oh wow this is weird like this is I'm have I'm on like an email chain with like uh a PR person a graphic gra- graphic designer a social media expert and rob and it's like i have no i like you know what i mean i have no it's another it's imposter no syndrome you're like what am i doing here it, it's it's like a total uh, that and it's sort of like I remember when I sent the songs to Rob, um, which by the way I was sort of like when Rob asked if he if he could give it, give it a try I was like, okay that's weird because these are like these like sort of like eighties new wave kind of sounding s- songs and Rob is interested in it but like eh, 
let's let's try it out. And then I realized like, well, yeah, Rob doesn't want to do the same band over and over. <laughs> right, over. right. You know, like if if, so, if somebody if somebody sent Rob something that sounds like 108, he'd probably be like, well, thanks, but I've done this before. Um, so he like sent back I, the first song I sent to him was um, Price of Admission, and he sent it back with his track on it, and I was like damn, like this, this kind of works. Cool. Now I didn't get it and think to myself like, Oh, we need to shop this. We need to get somebody to put this out. We need, like, I was just like, Oh, cool. You know, maybe we'll do the uh, other like two songs. We'll put it up on like Bandcamp. Cool. Like that's just where my head goes. Okay. Rob was like, Oh, okay. So like I've already sent like the first, uh, recordings to some friends of mine. Uh, I was talking to the guy from EVR and it's like, I'm like, Whoa, what? Like (laughs) this can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like his, his head was already in like a more ambitious place. Um, and I think maybe that comes from like, I don't know, like having success in his bands before where like he, and also, I mean, he's like, in in his everyday life, he's like a a CEO, vice president of like a company. So he has a little bit more of like a confidence to to like I don't know to approach people and say like here's this thing I'm that you should be excited about you know like um so when when he said he was gonna do that I was like um really you really think that this needs to be pressed I mean this is just like some songs I wrote like at my house. Like, and like you recorded, does it really need to be pressed? And he was like, look, he's like, uh, you know, I'm 47 years old. I don't know what the last release I'm going to do is like, maybe, maybe this is the last thing I get to like contribute to. He's like, but I wanted to, I'd like to get it pressed. And I was like, okay. So he starts to like reach out to people and 108 had worked with, VR before and he's good friends with them. Um, and so like, I think it's a, a case of like, you know, I don't think EVR, like you said, expects us to tour or do anything, you know, crazy like that. I just think it's more like they're, they have a lot of faith in Rob and they are good friends with Rob and they want to support Rob. Um, the thing I, I am sort of like uncomfortable about is like sort of like all the, the sort of like press parts of it. Cause sure. I'm just, I'm just not used to like trying to like be part of a brand or something like that. I'm just, I'm just not used to it. Um, I think that there's, there's probably a good sort of confidence that people have where they're like, I'm proud of what I did and I want to promote it. Um, and I think DIY hardcore, maybe to a fault puts you in a position where you're like, I'm proud of what I did, but I can't tell anybody I'm proud of what I did. Cause then it sounds like I'm trying to brag. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> you know, for like, sure. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but so yeah, it's 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 been strange uh, to like, uh, you know, experience like, a different side. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh my, it's so different. Like, yeah. like, 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 like they're like, okay, so um, what colors of uh, vi- vinyl do you want? And like, I'm used to like doing, you know, releases with like DIY labels that are like well we can maybe do like you know a hundred on like a 
a color of some sort. And like the next email comes up and Rob's like, uh, let's do some on blue. Let's do some on white. Let's do some on gold. Like it was like, it's like throwing out like three different colors. And then he's like, and, and in addition to the sweatshirt, is there any way to do like, or I'm sorry, in addition to the t-shirt, is there any way to do like sweatshirts too? And I'm like, what? Like they, you're they, asking for like, too much. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're like, yeah, cool. You know, like, um, and that's just like money that I'm not accustomed to. And it's, and it's like confidence I'm not accustomed to. Yeah. Um, well, it's cool. It, so I mean, that, it, it's cool that you can yeah. experience this kind of like as a, um, you know, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but like as a passenger where it's just like, you're getting to experience oh. this because of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, and it's just, yeah. it, it's cool because, you know, I think maybe if it, it's like, if you were the sole focal point of this, like, you know, it would mimic your experiences previously. Whereas like now you're able to kind of see like, Oh, like you can, uh, you know, we can have a discussion about these things and stuff. So yeah. it, it's, I'm glad that you get to have that experience. No, I, I, I feel absolutely like, like a passenger. Um, most of the press that we do like is Rob. Um, and I'm totally fine with that because Rob is way more articulate and confident. Um, I, I, I think it's actually kind of funny because with hundreds of AU, like a lot of times people get in touch with us and be like, can I interview the band? And then they'll send us questions and it's all about like, it's essentially questions for me, right, like, right, 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 right. <laughs> asking me about my old bands and stuff like that. And then, but like with this, so with this experience, it's like, I get to see how that is. It's like mostly like people being like, I want to interview Rob. I want to, you know? And so like, um, I, for me, I'm totally fine with like taking a back seat and sort of being the, the passenger with that. Um, I think when, when EVR kind of sent us the request from, from you, I was like, Oh, I know Ray. Great. Okay, cool. Like, you know, I, I probably would have done this at some point regardless you know so um yeah so that seems like a little bit more or 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 like organic to me yeah um so yeah yeah i know for sure but yeah that's it's it's been weird um and I, i i still do have like like a weird time grappling with that that like people it's it's like if a band puts something out now it's like well if we don't get some like blog or some like website to do like an exclusive stream on the day of the release like does it really come out and it's you know it's like yeah it came out like so there's like an emphasis on press that i'm getting accustomed to yeah no for sure you at least you're getting the full experience so that's cool but yeah yeah well, Tom, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, rifling through all this. And, uh, you know, it yeah. sounds like you got some homework to do uh, <laughs> after this as well yeah. to reflect on yourself a little bit more. But this has Definitely. been awesome. So thank you thank so you, much. Ray. What a splendid chat with Mr. Tom. I really appreciate him. I really appreciate his publicist, Alexa, for hooking this idea up because it was funny. She was like, hey, I'd love for you to talk to Rob Fish. And I was like, how about I talk to Rob Fish and Tom? who are in the same band together. And like I said, Every Scar Has a Story has their EP that's out now. It's three songs. It's really, really good. I highly encourage you to check it out on any streaming platform of your choice. What do we have next week? We have another Tom. This Tom is named Thomas Barnett. He is from Strike Anywhere, which Strike Anywhere brings me so much joy. Like anytime I listen to them, any song, it just immediately puts a smile on my face. They're they're such a live lively and energetic band and you know political like everything i love about independent music is pretty much 
captured in what Strike Anywhere does. So I had to have Thomas on because they just released a new P, EP, a new, a new P. <laughs> That'd be terrible if we just call EPs P's, like, like we're abbreviating something. But anyways, Thomas is on next week. And like I always encourage you, please be safe, everybody. And I really, really mean it.